Damn, I didn't think that would hit me like it did. Manny Cotto was involved in this one. Manny Cotto wrote, LeVar Burton directed. Good combo. He had been brought in to help produce uh, during season three. And uh, this was when Enterprise was being threatened. In fact, they hadn't even been uh, secured for season four at this point. But there was a lot of demand for a shakeup. There's all sorts of stuff going on and a lot of misinformation at about this point in history, which is why I haven't reported on a lot of it, even though some of it's technically uh, allegedly already happening at this point. But Kodok was come in and he, he did an interview uh, some 13 years ago at this point where he talked about how he was brought into the office with Braga and Braga was just dragging on a cigarette and staring into space, uh, staring out the window with just this, oh, you know, zombie look on his face, like, oh, God, because he was having trouble making the show happen. They were short on scripts, somehow, and they were short on production, and they weren't even sure they were going to get the season four thing, and he was like, Koto, I need, an, I need a script, and Koto's like, okay. So this was his first script. Now, it kind of shows, and I don't mean this in any way as an unkind statement, but this in many ways is structured like a fan fiction script would be. And it feels in many ways like the kind of stories that I would see friends and fans write over the many, many years as far as, you know, trying to write a story within Trek's confines. The difference is that he actually, you know, managed to actually make the thing, put it up on camera, but he also nailed it as far as the beats that needed to be nailed. There's some flaws with this, and I don't want to mistake that. In fact, this episode is a prime example of the cloud effect, or the cloud syndrome, if you prefer. But anyways... Um, yeah. So he pushed this out, and obviously, because this one nailed it so hard, this is one of the most... I mentioned before, you know, the top list of... and the bottom list of Enterprise episodes. This is in the top five of almost every list I saw. So... <laughs> Anyways. <clears throat> this also would lead to an eventual partnership between Manny Cotto, uh, Mike Sussman and Judith and Garfield Reeve Stevens, which is why season four is what it is. So we have the teaser, fake-out teaser. Then we have some extremely bad dialogue. <laughs> not Archer's speech, although he's not great at speeches anyways. No, I mean, I'm talking about when uh, Tucker and Paul are discussing things they already know to each other. It is classic, as you know, dialogue, and it's bad. Then they enter this situation where they're trying these new engine modifications, lose helm control for no stated reason, and then the engine is shut down. However, that doesn't stop the ship, even though the ship stops shortly after, even though what actually made the engines go bad was entering the field that stopped the ship, which happens after the engines go bad. None of this makes sense, is what I'm trying to say. I don't want to sound nitpicky. But this is kind of what I meant earlier. A lot of the setup here is not very well thought out. Almost like it was kind of rushed because he was desperate for a script because his boss was like, oh my god. Um, but the point is it tries very quickly to get to the to the start starting line. And the whole first act of the episode just feels like it's racing to get to that point and just throwing logic out the window. It's a very common problem in writing in general. You know, You know where you need to be in the story. That's point B over there. You're over here at point A. Um, plot. And if you've ever heard of someone say, because plot as an insulting term, this is that. So they just kind of... Okay, okay, we made it. Now we're at the point. Okay, so 
And this is also why I call this cloud effect, because there's some very serious, this shouldn't work, but it totally does. This is probably why Manny Cotto ended up being given such a chance as a writer, because while there's some logical problems here, it certainly nails the emotional beats especially. In fact, in that way, he reminds me of uh, Joe Manoski, who was another writer who had no idea how to string logic together, but was really good at certain ideas and concepts and liked to push boundaries and nailed some really cool scripts. Anyways. So, Tucker won't survive. <gasps> now, <laughs> um... Uh, okay. Imagine, uh... I, I, I want you to imagine for a moment how many people watching this actually believed for a millisecond that Tucker was going to die here. Is it anybody? Real question. I'm actually curious. See, the thing is, of all the things, I, I feel like certain... Uh, nah, nah, rewind, rewind. I talked before about the status quo problem. I talked about that extensively, and the Elseworlds and how that works for that. The problem here is, in uh, there was a period of time there where uh, fiction in general, especially televised fiction, kind of embraced the change the status quo thing so hard that it became kind of a guessing game because they would roulette new uh, cast members in and out non-stop. I'm not going to name shows. You can probably think of a few right off the top of your head where this is so common that it started to lose impact. I feel like a little bit of the in-between is really the correct way to do this. Make a show where it's okay to permanently kill a main character, but you don't do it constantly and you don't have the revolving door problem, right? But I bring that up because imagine if this show was made now. I don't mean... Let's keep all the New Trek stuff out the window. I haven't seen New Trek. I don't care. I just mean if Enterprise was being produced now, with the variances and differences in both television and storytelling that have happened in the last 13... Or excuse me, 17 years, by my perspective. It's obviously longer from your perspective. Think about that for a second. Now, put yourself into the shoes of someone who is watching this show as it's going live now, and the idea of Trip dying here is actually possible all of a sudden. Hell, even if it's also possible they could have had Trip die and have him replaced by Sim. That is also something they could do to shake things up. It's, it's effectively the Thomas Riker trick, except going through with it, right? Not that they would ever do that, but you, you get my point. Just food for thought, because it changes how you view the episode. Because I, I remember when I saw this, I was just like, no, they're not killing Tucker. It never even occurred to me for a second they were killing Tucker. So all I'm thinking is, how are they going to bring him back? So, this leads to the first horror element of the episode. Got a lot of horror in the Expanse, don't we? This will make a fully grown clone which will grow up and then die in 15 days. Wow. That is horrific. I, I don't even have words for how messed up that is. Just the, the, the moral and ethical implications of deliberately birthing life that gets 15 days total, by the way. Uh, that's closer to what, like, I think it's six or seven days to live uh, at, you know, at, at an age where they can appreciate life or something like that. Or maybe it was, maybe it's 10 days. I forget the exact timing, but, you know, not very long. Two weeks on the high end of existence. And then, wow, I have problems bringing a fully grown child who will live for a hundred into the current existence that we live in. The idea of birthing a child who gets to live for 15 days is nightmare fuel. I want to analyze why, if that's okay with you. 
First of all, it is cruel because it will allow them to understand and appreciate concepts right as they're being taken away. That's problem number one. It is, hey, isn't this amazing? Yeah, okay, take it away. It is straight-up cruelty. Second problem, <laughs> the more obvious and, and ethical ramification here, this is trying to deliberately engender a sentient, sapient being as cattle. And there's no nice way to put that. This, this is spare body parts. This is that stupid Michael Bay flick nobody remembers. I'm not even going to name it. You, you can if you want to. That actually isn't that stupid. It's probably one of my favorite Michael Bay flicks. But uh, point being, it's that thing all over again, right? <laughs> I mean, what? this that is a, that's a person. See, that's the thing. This is something that people argue we shouldn't do for animals and plants. Now, I'm not going to get into that. That's a whole other argument. But once you cross that line into sentient and sapient being, once that is a person, regardless of species, especially in sci-fi and fantasy, that is a whole other level of messed up. Because you are making a living being, which is fully capable of understanding and cognating what it is, and then deliberately allowing it to die just so you can chop it up on the block. The third thing, if I might be so bold, this is a more minor point, but imagine that you get two weeks to live here, now. Video games, and Marvel movies, and whatever it is you're into, right? Okay, now imagine you're on the NX-01 in The Expanse. So enjoy the two weeks of work and tedium under dire circumstances, which is already stated to be breaking several of the members of the crew to the point where they're having trouble sleeping and eating. This is cruel, cruel, and cruel. This is messed up. I don't want to tell Mr. Burton how to do his job, but I would actually have Archer be more broken up by this episode if if I had the choice. Now, spoilers. Spoilers, 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 spoilers. This choice will absolutely impact Archer in the future. This is going to come up, and when his carriage arc finally gets started, we we will go ahead and comment on it. I'll, I'll make a point of mentioning it there. I know it's there. I'm not going to forget it, because it's something I've been wanting to talk about since I started Enterprise. But point is... It, well, even though it will have an impact on him, I wish it had a more visible impact. I wish the actor showed it more. He just kind of scowls and glowers the whole episode, which is fine, because he's not happy about any of this. But, like, picture the scene towards the end of the episode where they're there with the two pods, and, you know, Sim is just standing there waiting for him, and you know, Archer comes in. Not even armed, by the way. It was a nice touch. He just walks in. And, you know, I, I would have had this bit where, you know, he's like, oh, this is a messed up situation, and Archer just kind of turns... And stands for a moment, and then slams his arm into the shuttle pod as hard as he possibly can. To the point where he starts shaking as he's withdrawing his hand, like I'm doing right now. To imply that he literally broke something there because of how hard he hit it. Because of how much this is damaging him. Instead, we just get a couple of glowers. Moving on. So, this is interesting. Clearly, the crew is pushed to desperation. That's why they have to go through with this. Archer would never go through with this under normal circumstances, right? Because they've got a ticking clock to get out of here because of the stupid field and the, the Ferris field. You'll notice, by the way, that we're back to the environmental threats, the, the expanse itself being one of the main plot points of this episode. This is a filler episode. Let's be clear. It is. We're still in the filler block. 
But at the same time, I, this is how you do filler right here. This is not a beach episode. This is a heavy, powerful uh, dilemma episode with an environmental threat and strong character focus and excellent acting by the characters, too. It's also a bit of a bottle episode if you're paying attention. Very low effects throughout this one, which was probably necessary because, again, desperate for episodes. So that's another point in Kodo's favor. Anyways. So... They're, they're stuck in the Ferris field. We need to get the hell out of here. That's why Archer approves it, right? No. If you paid attention, and notice they don't even call attention to this. They just leave it there for you to pick up on this. Archer already approved of the usage of the clone to make Sim before he found out that they had a ticking clock for being in this field. And what's funny about that and horrible is, and this is, an, again, where Archer could have been showing more how much this decision was bothering him, Earth needs Enterprise. Enterprise needs Trip. That's all there is to it. And at that point, it is cold calculus. This brings up our second theme of the work, or I suppose I should say our first theme, sacrifice. Remember, I've mentioned this theme that is prevalent throughout all of Season 3. I did what I had to. In this case, Archer is being pushed into a place he does not want to be. Later on in this very episode, he flat out says, please don't make me a killer. He doesn't say it like that. He probably should have. But, you know, don't make me into a killer. Because he'll do it if he has to, right? I mean, that's that's how that works. I've been pushed into a corner. I've got to do this. I don't have a choice. Now, they then grow Sim. Why, uh... Why does Sim get his memories? This is probably one of the dumber aspects of the episode that somehow works despite it. When I say dumb, I mean it it does not make sense. This is not Assassin's Creed. We do not somehow magically have all of the exact day-to-day moments of, of the past locked in our DNA going back millennia. No. So the idea that Sim has all of Tripp's memories is stupid, hence me calling it dumb. It still lands because they decide to use that point. Here's the catch. If they had decided to make it such that he didn't have Tripp's memories, if Sim was his own person, this would be a different dilemma. It would still be a dilemma. You have still grown a sentient sapient being who is his own unique self, who is now dying in order to save the previous crew member. That sounds familiar for some Tuvix-y kind of reason. I can't think of why. But anyways, this would then be a different type of dilemma. But no, instead he is Trip, and this is done so that we can get our second theme in for the work. Identity. Sim, multiple points in the episode, Sim reflexively says something like mine, or ours, or in a possessive personal manner, refers to something that's actually from Tucker, not him. Let's be clear. Sim is a separate person. A completely separate, divergent entity. Now, that is my opinion on the matter. But I ha- the only reason I'm saying opinion is because somewhat recently someone disagreed with me on that so severely that we got into some- something approximating an argument. Not an actual yelling match, but they would not see my point of view and I never saw theirs. I really didn't. I never actually saw their point of view. So I have to say opinion now rather than fact because I don't see why this is an opinion, to be completely honest. Sim, even with all of Trip's memories, is not Trip. Sim is Sim. Sim came into birth five days ago, and is now a completely separate sentient entity. This is called forking in fiction. You have a singular entity, something happens, and now there's two. Forking. That's, that's the concept. It's, it's the same idea as the perfect clone concept. If you 
Farscape actually touches on this very topic. If you somehow magically perfectly clone yourself, the two people at the moment of inception, the actual instant, are the same person. But for every second that passes afterwards, they become more and more separate people as they take in different experiences, different identity, uh, different concepts. They think different things because they're prompted by different things. Because they live different lives, the more separate they become and the more distinct they become. Sim is, is a similar concept to this, except, and, and this, this is again why the memory thing is there, so that he can be this fork of Trip, this fork of Tucker, and kind of be his own person, but wrestling with that, because that makes perfect sense, wouldn't you? Imagine for a moment, you find out that you're actually a clone of yourself, and you have all of your previous self's memories. At that point, it almost feels like an intrusion, doesn't it? There's this wonderful scene, as usual. Trenier and Blaylock have great chemistry together. There's this scene where he goes into her quarters and he's like, I, I have feelings for you. You know, I, there's, I, I, this isn't just some kind of adolescent thing. There's real, legitimate, romantic connection here. And yet, hesitation, I don't know if those are my feelings. And it just the way he says that gets across all of it. Because at that point, again... All of these memories that he has of Trip are, for all intents and purposes, being enforced upon him by an external source, for all intents and purposes. I know it's not literally external, but it is functionally an external thing, forcing Sim to be Trip. And that intrusion becomes more and more unwanted as the episode goes on, and as it becomes clear that he is bothered by this. He hates this. He wants to be himself, not Tucker. That doesn't mean he doesn't have possession over the things prior to his inception, though. That is his sister, as he says towards the end of the episode, in every way that matters, because up to the fork, same entity. Thus, uh, let me put this this way. Is Thomas Riker, uh, oh god, I can't think of his name. Riker's dad, right? The jackass, remember him? Is he the dad of, uh, you know, William Riker? Yeah. Is he the dad of Thomas Riker? Yes, because he was the dad of the singular entity prior to the fork. He is thus, in every way that counts, the same father. Now, under other circumstances, a, a relationship or connection can happen after the point of the fork, Farscape, but that's something that has to be decided. That's not something that's automatic. But I bring this up because, again, it goes into this whole identity concept. Th this came up, if you're wondering where the argument I mentioned earlier came up, it was in a uh, video game called Cyberpunk. And in Cyberpunk, they talk about... The, well, actually, they don't talk about this. They just bring it up and never properly discuss it because Cyberpunk had tons and tons of issues. But the point is, it was something that was there. The new fork, the new entity that had the same memories and perspectives of the original started becoming a new person. And whether or not they count as the original person or not, whether they qualify for the ID of the original person or not, was something that was being brought up. In my opinion, there's no debate here. This is Sim, not Tucker. But even if that is not in debate, it is still something that is a horrific me measure that Sim has to go through. Because no matter the reality of it, no matter what our minds or logic or deduction tells us, we still feel things that we're not sure are us. We still think things that we're not sure are us. And, and by, I, I'm saying this personally, but again, what I'm trying to say is put yourself into Sim's shoes here. Now think of it. Is that my thought? Or is that Tucker's? Did I feel that way? Or did Tucker feel that way? 
how much of me is me and how much of me is them. And you see the, how this would be such a horrific thing. So, by the way, yes, this is yet another way in which this whole thing is horrific. And that is, of course, why it was written as such. Cloud effect, bad, dumb decision leading to good story, or walking, or walking. At the 22-minute mark, Trenier actually starts playing Sim. And <laughs> comes up with the idea to get them out of the Ferris cloud. It works. I hate to argue, but I, I don't know. Maybe I don't know my physics all that well, but I'm pretty sure that if they were able to push any force into the ship, they would be able to push it because inertia, they're in space. So, you know, just push it a little bit and then a little bit and then a little more and then a little more, a little more as it just builds up because there's nothing really resisting it. There's no air resistance. There's no gravity fields that are pulling on it. It just go, right? Am I understanding that wrong? Instead, it acts like it, they're trying to drag a ship out of that's been beached because there's a point where it actually starts moving, but previous to that it had zero movement, even though that makes no sense. But again, rushed script. Just thought I'd comment on it. Maybe I am actually wrong here. I don't know. Anybody know the physics of this? Um, hmm. Thankfully, once they get out, all the Ferris stuff just sloughs off. I was actually thinking, how are they going to get all that crap off the ship? They had to use phaser cannons and plasma rifles in order to get any of this stuff off the ship. But no, it just all falls right off as soon as they get out. What? But that's okay, because that was never the point, after all. The point of this episode is the central focus. For those of you not aware, the cloud effect, which is referred to uh, for the episode The Cloud over in Voyager... It's when a, there is a dumb premise that comes to a good result. It's the exact opposite of Voyager Effect, which is when you have an incredible premise and you fail to live up to it. <laughs> yes, I've named both of those for Voyager. Thank you for asking. So the first hint of actual romance between Tucker and T'Pol happens here, by the way. Reminds me of another scene in DS9 I'm sure some of you can think of here. The only reason that Sim actually opens up about Tucker's feelings for T'Pol is the fact that, you know, he's dying. He might as well say something, right? What's the harm? It is interesting because this is, while the two have good chemistry and the two have worked together and been friends for some time, this is the first hint of anything romantic between the two. Whether this will go anywhere or not is something we will discuss as we go forwards, but it is an interesting choice, especially since several writers, as I've already discussed, kept trying to hook her up with Archer, question mark. I do think Tucker's a better choice, but I will discuss that more in the future. Um, so I already mentioned, you know, are these my fields? Feelings, are they not? The mold, that's that's a good phrase. I should have used that. The, the feelings and memories of Tucker are molding Sim to him, and he hates that. Of course he does. Why wouldn't he? So, finds out that Sim won't survive the procedure. I've heard a couple people say, why is this a big deal? Who cares? He's going to die in a few days anyways. Sim himself says that. Thing is, this is kind of how people work. Let me run you through a scenario. You have to strangle someone to death with your bare hands. Can you do it? Okay, let's try another one. Let's say you have to shoot someone with a gun. Can you do it? Let's try another one. Let's say you have to order someone to shoot someone with a gun. Can you do it? Let's try another one. Let's say you have to give a mandate that someone has to give orders to someone to give a, to, to shoot someone with a gun. I've talked about this a lot. This, this is actually a very real-life uh, prevalent thing and something that I honestly think is the result of... I think a lot of real-life terrible stuff happens because of this concept. It's distance. Distance makes everything cold, right? The more distanced you are from the actual act, the easier it is to do, the easier it is to swallow. 
to it's it's okay because all I'm doing is giving an order or pressing a button. But you get up there and you actually have the gun in hand, or you have to strangle them with your bare hands. It's a lot harder to do, right? I think this is the problem that runs into them. This is why both Flocks and Archer are so obviously bothered by this. And both of them show this very visibly. This is no longer just, you are going to die in a few days, which is one step removed from actually killing him, because there's just nothing they can do about that. So they're not deliberately killing him. It's more like they just engineered the situation which will allow him to die. But now they have to perform a surgery which will kill him one step closer. Now they're a lot less comfortable with the action, even though, let's be blunt, they are effectively doing the same thing. That's the key. Now that is my opinion. I will go ahead and admit that. But in my opinion, killing him in order to harvest his, his, his neural tissue is... It, it is different. I don't want to say it's not different. But it is the same level of culpability and responsibility as ordering his creation knowing he will die. It bothers them more because it's more personal, because of distance theory, the thing I just mentioned. But it shouldn't, to be blunt, because both really are deliberately killing this sentient sapient entity for the goals as stated. It should bother them equally as much. Now, we could argue whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. As Obviously, I just gave my opinion, but then again, that's because I think the person who presses that button needs to be aware of the consequences of that push. There's a bit where Sim finds out that there's some extremely potential situation that might make it so he stops aging, so he can actually live a normal life. He clings to that like a lifeline. The episode makes it clear that's that's a one in a million chance. It's not happening. And he clings to that, though, because it is a chance. The catch is, and this is where the episode actually starts to get properly constructed, and we see why so many things have been lined up, so many dominoes have been lined up the way they have. It's because he needs to be harvested at a certain range, otherwise he won't be compatible with Trip. That gives them a timeline, a range of which this has to happen. If they try this thing in order to simulate this, it's going to take so long they will be out of that range. In other words, it is now a straight-up choice. Do you do the surgery, which will probably save Tucker, or do you do the surgery, which maybe probably won't save Sim? Now, you can imagine which one Sim wants to go for, and he pushes for it. He pushes for it hard. And Archer comes down on him like a tug of bricks. I said I'd talk about this later. Unlike all the way back in Anomaly, which I think was the second episode, where he's like, I'll totally torture you. Remember how I mentioned none of that worked? This works much better. Not only has Archer been under the gun for you know a decent chunk of the season, several episodes at this point, but also he's at the point now where he's showing this more. It's not just a, oh, I'm willing to do the Jack Bauer thing. Instead, it's more, this is actively getting to him. But he is still going to do it, despite the fact that he's tearing himself to shreds doing it. This is actually damaging Archer, as it should be. Very subtle point, by the way. I want you to pay attention to T'Pol's face in this episode. She's always got this interesting pseudo-detached mask anytime she's around Sim. For extremely obvious reasons. So Sim goes to flee? No, he doesn't. Why bother? What's the point? Spend out the rest of your life in the shuttle pod? The thing doesn't even have a toilet. But there is one thing that would be worse. Imagine being in there with Malcolm. Wah, wah. 
By the way, that little tidbit right there, that's another thing Manny Cotto's good at. Connecting threads. That's continuity. It's not string continuity. But that's the kind of thing that Cotto and the other team members I just mentioned earlier, Sussman and the, uh, what is it, Russell Steves? Uh, Reeves Stevens, excuse me, Reeves Stevenses would be able to bring to the show and actually help make this an actually good show from effectively this point onwards. Is that those little threads that help remind you that this is not just a episode to episode Twilight Zone kind of a thing, but these people actually are the same people you watched then and will be the same people in a few weeks, you know, that kind of a thing. Anyways, little continuity bits like that. I love it. He did it for his sister. Couldn't let it happen to anyone else. You can't anthropomorphize humanity, but you can think of favorite sister fighting for her. And so the episode takes its time here too. Almost takes a breather to really let you realize and process that Sim is willingly going to his death here. We even see the moment of effectively his death when he is put down because that's, that is for all intents and purposes when he died. He knew nothing after that point. You owe me one. And Tucker looking over his corpse and just stone-faced as he's processing all that's happened. The final kiss with T'Pol, showing that she probably feels something in return, by the way. This is how you make the death of a redshirt matter, right here. I'm just saying, if you're going to kill off a character, especially a named character in your show or movie or game or book, Exhibit A. Manny Cotto's first entry into Enterprise is excellent, despite its problems. And it does have problems. I will never shy away from that. That's my approach. But I still gush about this episode. This is still one of my favorites. This might actually be my favorite episode so far. Uh, in Enterprise, I mean, obviously. I do, as always, hope you have enjoyed. I do very much look forward to your thoughts and the two major themes and the concepts therein. And I hope to see you next time. <laughs>